Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Brax Tax. I'm here with Zach Hellman. It's good to be here. It is good to be. It's good to be. So, um, right now, want to do a little um, plug for our people group of the week or day? Uh, week. 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 Yep. Uh, so this week, we have the uh, the Bedouin people uh, in Jordan. Um, they're a, a group of about 1.4 million people, um, but there's only about 140 um, believers that, that are in the group. Um, so it's, it's a very small uh, group of believers. And, and in fact, they, in their language, they don't even have the full New Testament yet. Hmm. Um, so they're still working on, on getting that translated and getting it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, right off the bat, that's one thing that you can absolutely pray for them about mm-hmm. um, is, you know, that, that we can get the, the full word to them. Um, sure that's 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 uh, number one two um, and this is less specific to just the Bedouin people uh, more in general for for Muslims because uh, the Bedouin people are are Islamic is it's the month of Ramadan mm-hmm. um, yeah and you know they're looking uh, for visions from from Allah and you know we pray that he would give them visions mm-hmm. uh, visions of, of Jesus Christ yeah. um, and that that the truth would be revealed to them mm-hmm. um, so that's more of a, a general prayer for that whole group. Yeah. Um, and also specifically the, the Bedouin people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, the, you know, the, the group itself is more of a nomadic mm-hmm. kind of uh, sustenance farming. Um, and uh, that, that's kind of the, the information I, mm-hmm. I have on them. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But formative for me as well. Yep. Um, you can always look them up on the Joshua Project. Mm-hmm. They're there mm-hmm. uh, if you want more information. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, be be praying for them, um, and throughout the whole month of, of Ramadan specifically for mm-hmm. um, all all Muslims. Yeah. Well, thank you, Zach. So now um, we have a, a segment that we're going to do called. Christianity at the movies. Now that sounds super lame, but it's not. Believe me, because we're good at this. Um, <laughs> we've done this before. Um, so Christian Christianity at the movies. Um, I watched Up this morning. Um, I have seen Up before. Um, back in two thousand nine, when it came out, I think maybe maybe a year later or something like that. I was fourteen at the time, so Pixar. You know, like I love Pixar. Lived with Pixar my whole life, which is one of the reasons why I don't like Toy Story Four, because um, <laughs> it just ruins everything. But um, at the time, I don't know if I saw it right when it came out, but but I haven't seen it in a long time. Now that I'm a dad, um, I'm I'm just turning on Pixar movies on Disney Plus for mm-hmm. for my boy to watch. You know. He won't understand any of it. Right. But there's colors and music and, <laughs> and movement. So it's Pixar, too. So I'm like, all right, just put, put you in front of that and we'll watch. And um, watching Up, I think I cried probably three times. Mm-hmm. This, and, you know, I'm not typically – okay, I mean, maybe I should preface this. I If there's a really good commercial, I might cry, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's – 
I guess it won't take a whole lot, but it was <laughs> it was very it was a very emotional journey. And and for those of you who have seen the movie, um, Up has some of the greatest storytelling in cinema mm-hmm. ever. Um, in in about ten less than ten minutes, they managed to tell a better story than what most blockbuster movies um, managed to tell in in two hours, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of a lot of Marvel movies. But it, give or take, a lot of them. I mean, not all <laughs> of them. I'm not a huge fan of Ant Man and the Wasp, but um, you, there are some blunders ish, mm. but they still make tons of money. Um, but, it, you know, less than 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, you know about Carl and Ellie that they fall in love, um, that they have a wonderful life together, that they wanted to go to Paradise Falls in South America their whole lives. They wanted to do that. They, they go through um, uh, miscarriage and infertility. Um, and then eventually um, Ellie dies. And, and Carl's left by himself. Now, I think I cried twice during that, maybe once or twice during that segment because mm-hmm. it's just so emotional and what they're able to, to convey to you without words. Um, but towards the end of the movie, Carl has now parked his, his balloon house mm-hmm. um, at Paradise Falls, just where they said that they would park their house. Um, and he, he's sitting at his chair and he has uh, Ellie's adventure book and uh, he's he's flipping through the first section of the book and there's this one page that Ellie had written when she was you know probably like eight nine something like that and it just says all the stuff I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. and uh, and and Carl just is about to close the book because he thinks that's where it stops but then he he sees that there's more and and that what Ellie had been doing throughout their lives as a as a married couple was she was putting in the adventure that they had had together and uh, so it was it was I cried immediately <laughs> and and I think some of it is because um, one people have said that I'm I'm like Carl um, which is saying something because I'm, I'm I'm not I, I'm not nearly as square as right, he is. Right, right. Probably uh, taller too. Uh, yes, certainly. I would hope <laughs> um, he doesn't seem to be a very tall man. But uh, I've kind of I don't know. I've just been maybe just ornery in the past, and maybe that's why people said, "Hey, you're like Carl." But um, Carl has been living with this this low level guilt that. Um, that he got married to Ellie and he had promised her all this adventure and and life happened instead. You know, there's a flat tire, the, there's a tree that falls on their house and every time that they're saving up money to go and have adventure, they can't because life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's nothing that he did. It's just, it just didn't happen. And, uh, and, and I think a lot of us can live with such low level guilt mm-hmm. that we haven't lived up to a standard. And uh, and then to see, though, that that the whole time that you live with the low-level guilt about not measuring up to a standard, there is someone who delights in you. Mm. Um, and so 
I feel like in, in that moment for me, not only I, I feel that love and acceptance, you know, that Ellie is showing Carl, I, I feel that from my wife and I feel that from, from God, um, where guess what, Carl, Brax, you, you don't have to live up to an impossible standard. You know, life does happen and I delight in you anyway. And so it was, it was just very, it was powerful for me mm-hmm. to feel that in that moment. And then, and what happens then is, is Carl is in this place of love and acceptance from his, his deceased wife, mm-hmm. you know, that he doesn't have to um, make this adventure and parking the house happen. So then he, um, he just, you know, Russell is off trying to save Kevin. If you haven't seen the movie, this is very confusing to you. <laughs> um, but he's off trying to save Kevin. And so in order to get the house off of the ground, he dumps all of his furniture. Mm. And, and, and the whole time, the movie has portrayed Carl as holding on to all of the things that Ellie has touched. Um, you know, they've had a life together. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult for him to let go of anything. And now he's just pushing all the furniture out, getting rid of it in order to get the house up. And then he can go and, and rescue Kevin and Russell. Um, and uh, so that's one thing, though, you know, from a, a place of love and acceptance to then sacrifice for a need. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a different thing to to do something that you don't have to do because you love, mm-hmm. and um, so you see Carl, you know, his character move move a little bit in in towards loving people by suffering for for Russell and Kevin, but then when Russell is at his little like you know scout graduation from junior to senior scout, whatever, mm-hmm. um, mailman, whatever it is, that's <laughs> running joke. But um, he takes the, the pin that Ellie gave him um, as an adventurer explorer. It's just this little pin stuck to a, a, a um, grape soda um, a bottle cap. And, uh, and he pins that on Russell. And like for me, I, I think I would never give that up. You know, mm-hmm. if if I were Carl, I would I would be like, nope, that is off limits. You know, that's that's mine. That's the first thing Ellie ever gave me, mm-hmm. and he gives it to Russell. And and you see the moment that he is loved and accepted, and he knows that it it changes his demeanor from from bitterness and holding on, and and begrudging any kind of service for others. He moves from that to love, giving, joy, self-sacrifice, going above and beyond in order to um, really make Russell just feel special. (laughs) And I I think that's what happens to a lot of us as Christians is, is we receive good gifts from God and then we hold on to them and they become rotten in our hands. And we become bitter when, when people try to take from us, whether their intentions are good or bad. Um, so we're bitter towards the people that are trying to, you know, meet us in our lives. And, and then we're also, we have a low-grade bitterness towards the gift giver because the gifts aren't what they used to be. They're not doing what they used to do. Um, and the reason why they don't do what they, you know, once did is because they were supposed to be given away. 
mm-hmm. uh, you've h- held on to them for so long that they've just rotted and now they're gross. Mm-hmm. And, but you you should have given them. Um, so anyway, I, I think just Christian truths from that. We are loved and accepted um, by our Heavenly Father. And, and as we've received that love and acceptance from that place, we can give generously. From that place, we can be joyful. From that place, we can love others and enter into suffering for their sake. Um, so that was, that was up mm-hmm. this morning. Um, but you've got a movie that you've right. seen that I, I, I'm very interested in, in seeing eventually. Yes. So this is a, a, a pretty, a fairly new movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to try not to give away mm-hmm. um, any major plot points or anything like that. Um, but it, the movie is called Just, Just Mercy. It's kind of a double entendre mm-hmm. of a name, yep. Just Mercy and Just Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's it's a it's a fantastic movie. It you know stars Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. who is Creed Killmonger. Mm-hmm. He also <laughs> played the Human Torch once. Right. So Marvel has right. redeemed both Human Torches. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, um, but anyways, um, so the the main setting of of the movie, and it was originally a novel that got mm-hmm. um, made into a movie is um, about uh, deep racial injustice in, in the Deep South. Mm-hmm. It takes place mostly in the, the 70s and 80s, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Um, and what it is, is Michael B. Jordan's character. I'm struggling to think of his name at the moment. Michael so I'll B. call him Michael B. Jordan. Yep. Um, he you know, is a, a young law student, and he... Um, is kind of sent on an errand almost to uh, go tell one of the people that um, they're defending that um, his uh, death date for being put to death for his crimes is, has been pushed back. Hmm. There's a kid around the same age as the main character, as Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Um, and so, you know, he goes and he starts talking with this, with this kid and turns out they grew up around the same place and that sort of stuff too. Um, and they were, you know, bonding over some, some gospel songs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, uh, one of the guards comes in, um, and he's, you know, treating this kid super roughly, throws him up against a wall, handcuffs him, and, and takes him out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, then the story jumps forward a little bit, and Michael B. Jordan has now graduated. He's, you know, a full-on legit lawyer now, and what he does because I, he was pretty successful in school. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to work, he had turned down an offer from a, a big law firm. Uh, what he instead does <clears throat> is he's um, part of an organization. He goes down south to Georgia, and what he does then is he does uh, pro bono work mm. for death row inmates. Wow. Um, and what, what I think is really interesting about this is because it, it does emulate Jesus a, mm-hmm. a lot, the mm-hmm. story. Um, and what Michael B. Jordan's character does is he abandons any, any prestige that he would have gotten from being a, a big-shot lawyer, mm-hmm. goes down south, shirks any um, glory that he would have gotten, and does kind of like the, the dirty low work, yeah. the, the kind of bitter, biting tooth and nail to try mm-hmm. to get these guys off death row, who, you know, we, we see that most of them are, are innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he, the the lawyer is, you know, in the mud with them. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a scene where uh, he's living with someone, and you know, there's a bomb threat on their house because they're not liking what they're doing, what right. he's doing. Yeah. Um, so he's he's suffering, he's having a mm-hmm. hard time, um, and then the story plays out from there. I, again, I don't want to give yeah. give away too much, yeah. but it's a lot like Jesus in, yeah. in the way that he, you know, take um, a- any any. Can't think of the word, but but any um, glory or mm-hmm. or um, status yeah. that he could have had, he he shirks that for his love yeah. for people. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's a wonderful story. I, I definitely recommend um, getting the movie. It's it's out on disc. Okay, um, it was in theaters a little while yep. ago, right before Corona hit. Mm. Um, but yeah, go you know, check it out. It's a great movie. Okay. It's it's on my list of things to see. I, I was always intrigued with the title, mm-hmm. and uh, and two just with race relations too, especially um, you know we uh, you know just seeing a, a jogger pass by you know um, mm-hmm. with Ahmed, and uh, you know racism isn't dead um, as as long as humans are around that are capable of sin there will be racism and uh and i think movies like just mercy um probably helpful in um just remembering to love um to love people Mm -hmm. (laughs) um regardless of of where they're at who they are what they want um and what they'll do to you with that, um, let's turn to John um, to talk about Jesus. Um, I kind of want to go into John 5. John 5, dive right in. Um, just a word on John 4. If you do read John 4, um, 46 through 54, um, I would just urge you to consider... Um, this is Jesus' second sign. The first sign that we see, if you, if you missed the episode, it's um, uh, John 2 and I think Jesus and the water to wine. Um, one of my favorite episodes that we've done here. Um, but Jesus in John 2 is the true and better Moses because he changes the water rather than water to blood, water to wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is Jesus' second sign. John makes note of that. Um, who is Jesus better than in, in John 4, 46 through 54? Um, so that would be up to you to answer that question. But we're not going to be in John 4. We're gonna, cause I was just, I'm very interested in John 5 right now, um, especially just coming off of that conversation. Right. Um, so John 5, I think we'll do 1 um, through 9. So do you want to read? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> we'll get through it? Yeah. All right. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which was called in Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porticos, oh, having five porticos. <coughs> wow. wow. 
has five. Have five. It has five porticos. It's amazing. Mine only has three. I don't have any. <laughs> I have no porticos. I don't know what a portico is. Anyways, no. in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool, stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he had been affli- afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting that John includes kind of the, uh, the, the history of this well, mm-hmm. you know, of, you know, an angel will come mm-hmm. down from heaven, stir up the water, and, you know, whoever gets into the pool first will be healed. And who do we see coming to the pool? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, while not an angel, we, you know, can kind of make that connection of, of the, the divine right. origin. Yeah. Um, and he comes and he heals. Mm-hmm. And this is more of an English thing, so completely outside the text. Mm-hmm. But stirring up the water is exactly what Jesus does, of yeah. the idiom of stirring up Right, the water. yeah. That's completely outside you know, the text, but I just thought it I was like funny. It. That's good. Uh, what about you? Um, yeah, there's a lot, just in these nine verses, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um a few things that I I particularly love is it, this guy has been there for 38 years. Mm-hmm. 38 years in this condition, right? Whether or not he's laying there, you know, for mm-hmm. 38 years. Probably not, I would guess, you know. But he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? I would miss that if I were in that situation. If I knew that I could pray and heal this paralyzed person Mm -hmm. who has been paralyzed for 38 years, I would not ask him. (laughs) I would just fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Jesus does not. Um, and I think there's, there's a few things going on. One, um, is that I, I am typically so prideful that I think that I obviously know what this person needs. Mm. And, uh, and Jesus is so humble that he doesn't assume anything. He just, he just asks, I mean, you've been here 38 years. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? And and he puts it in in this paralyzed man's court to answer the question. He doesn't just walk up, boom, you're healed, done, you know, fixed problem. And uh, I think so often for us, we miss it. We miss what God's doing because we don't ask. Hmm. We don't ask God and we don't ask the people around us. Um, 
you know, I, I wonder with missions, um, how often do we ask? And it, it might be in, in leadership. So if you're, you know, if you're in a team, you might not have that conversation. But, but are we asking the people that we're going to mm-hmm. go try to serve, what is it that we can do for you? Mm. Is there anything that you want us to do for you? Do you just want us to show up and just be there? Um, but to, to, to slow down, and this is, this is just so true. I'm, I'm reading Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller. And he, he, I was just reading, where, and he said in, in the chapter that I was reading, love is inefficient. Hmm. And, uh, and Jesus could go to this man, go, oh, wow, 38 years? You know, boom, healed, moving on to the next thing. But he doesn't. He slows down. He asks, do you want to get healed? And his response is not yes. He just, you know, he kind of gives a non-answer. Like, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going another, going down, another steps down before me. So what do you think? Does he want to be healed or not? Um, maybe he wants to be healed. Maybe he has found an identity in bitterness. Because um, he doesn't say yes. There's something wrong with this guy, deeper than his paralysis. Because we see other people when Jesus asks them, what do you want me to do for you? They say immediately, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Bartimaeus in Luke 19, uh, 18 is a good example of this. You know, he, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And he just says, I want to recover my sight. But he knows what his sight is for because then he follows Jesus right after that. Um, but this guy, you know, he, he doesn't answer with a yes. Um, he answers with a mopiness mm-hmm. of, you know, this is my circumstance, it sucks, and, you know, it's just the way that it is, you know, not necessarily expecting that anything is going to change. Um, but Jesus heals him. Um, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Um, so he loves him. And heals him. Um, but I just, I, I love that, where he, Jesus slows down enough to ask. And, and again, this is also very, it's not just the humility that strikes me, it's the childlikeness. Because if, if you removed the character, like if you said, if you just said, well, you know, uh, when this, when this person sees this man lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, this person says, do you want to be healed? If you didn't know that that was Jesus, you would probably assume that that's a child mm-hmm. that's asking the question. Right. Because only a child would ask such a question. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> adults would go, don't ask him that. Mm-hmm. You know? Because mm-hmm. um, they don't want to offend him. You know? They don't, they don't want to... You know, and suffering is such a like a sacred thing now. Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't want to mess up suffering. Right. Um, 
So we don't. I think that's one of the reasons. So often we don't know what to do with suffering people, mm-hmm. is because because suffering is sacred. We don't we don't want to wreck their suffering, right? Which is so stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, we want to be we want to be gentle. We want to, um, you know, if there's genuine grieving going on, we want to um, we want to honor that space and give them space for it. But we also want to help. Mm-hmm. Um. But Jesus, being so childlike, just goes right for the question. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be healed? So good. Any thoughts on that? I, I, I think the condition of the man, um, the, the, the paralytic, uh, he's... I, I, it could be symbolic... Um, that I'm, you know, uh, symbolic, and I'm making this up in my head, uh, but he's paralyzed, and it seems his body's paralyzed, but also so is his his will. Hmm. Um, you know, he he's he's apathetic about, you know, um, what what Jesus has offered him. Like, yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I've been here so long, I'm kind of content with it, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, resigned to it. Right. Yeah. Um, and for us, before we were ever saved, we, we were so resigned to our sin. Yeah. Um, where it, if someone came up and asked us, hey, you know, do, do you want to be healed? We mm-hmm. probably would have said, uh, I'm here, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. Not, not given a straight answer of, of like, yes, yes, I want to be saved. Um, so thank goodness for us mm-hmm. that Christ you know, takes the initiative right. on this guy and heals him. Yeah. Just as he does with every other sin. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Now that day was a Sabbath, though. So the Jews, you know, they, they said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. So I just imagine, you know, this is probably not. I just imagine Pharisees sitting on their porch, you know, <laughs> and they're just, you know, just enjoying the Sabbath. And then this guy comes walking by and he's holding a bed. They go, hey, it's the Sabbath. <laughs> the law forbids you to do that. And, and then the, this is how he, the guy answers. The man who healed me, the, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So... Taking the responsibility and putting it on nameless man, <laughs> right? And then they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So you, we see this scene transpire of Jesus doing something illegal, mm-hmm. according to the religious figures of the day Mm -hmm. because it's the sabbath you can't heal people on the sabbath you know pick a different day to heal people jesus you can't (laughs) do it now because it's the sabbath you're not allowed to do that Mm -hmm. um so jesus doing that now has landed him in trouble with the religious figures and the man who was healed um you know kind of to, to remove the blame from himself just blames Jesus. 
mm-hmm. though you know he doesn't know Jesus. So you know we could say so far he's he's nice in that you know he manages to dodge the blame, but then also um, he's he's uh, he's keeping Jesus safe, you know. Um, but but then afterward. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. We'll stop there. Any any thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously it's seen right afterwards that the man wasn't, you know, purposely protecting Jesus. Right. It was just... Out of ignorance, he's like, oh, pff, I don't know who he was. Yeah. Sees him later, he's like, oh, your name is Jesus. Yeah. Hold on one second, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so not everyone who who is, you know, who comes into contact with him is immediately in love with him. Right. Um, even someone who, after 38 years and was so apathetic that he didn't even really feel the need to be healed anymore. Mm-hmm. He's healed. Right. And even he was very easily turns yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. Um, I just think that, 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 that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely speaks to the wickedness of the human heart. Of, right. Yeah. You know, you, so much can be done for you, mm-hmm. but now because it suits you, because, I don't know, maybe he's, you know, cozying up to the the Pharisees here or right. something, or whatever his motive was, yeah. um, he he seeks for himself, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think, for one, we see what the man is like. He has some thing has mastered him. Mm-hmm. It's not Jesus. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and um, love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You, and he says you can't serve God in money, which then Judas plays out in his own life mm-hmm. by betraying Jesus for money. Um, so he has the, the, um, this paralytic, once paralytic of 38 years, um, he has something that has mastered him that is not Jesus because he gives Jesus up. Um, now, we could speculate as to what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we could say that it is self-righteousness mm-hmm. um, because something about self-righteousness is, is that it needs other people to right. acknowledge it. You know, and so uh, the Pharisees are not acknowledging his righteousness, and in an effort to clear his own righteousness to be justified in the eyes of the Pharisees, um, he gives Jesus up. And we do this all the time because you know we're we seek to be justified in in human ways. Mm-hmm. Um, just watch yourself the next time that someone criticizes you that you're close to um, and see how defensive you get or, or how you desire to clear yourself. And it's, it's probably because you 
are seeking to be justified in mom, in dad. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, my temptation is to seek to be justified in Jess rather than justified in Jesus. It's mm-hmm. nice because there's good alliteration there, you know. <laughs> um, but so it could be that, um, you know, people pleasing. It could be that he's bitter that he's healed. Maybe. You know, um, he had found such identity in his paralysis that he's he's now bitter about the healing. Mm. And and since he's blamed, now he just sees this as opportunity to give up Jesus. And, you know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But he has something that has mastered him, and it's not Jesus. And that's, I think, why he's so free to give him up. Um, the other thing, though, that I love here is it shows, this is, one of the other places in the New Testament where you really get to see how Jesus loves people that won't ever love him back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he says, love your enemy, do good to those who persecute mm-hmm. you, and then he lives it. Mm-hmm. Um, his outer world of words matches the inner world. Um, his outer life matches his inner life because he... He does this secretly. So this is in the category of inner life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he comes to that man and, you know, and says, this is me. You know, I, I'm the one who healed you. Um, does that, you know, not explicitly, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the force of it. And uh, Jesus loves him anyway. I mean, he, he has no guarantee when he heals this guy mm-hmm. that he's going to love him. You know, and we saw it with the Samaritan woman in John 4, how patient he is mm-hmm. with her, with no, no win at the end of the conversation of like, yeah, now I believe in Jesus, you know. Um, and then now with this guy who just doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't love him, doesn't hold him to be valuable, doesn't have him as his master, as his Lord, as his Savior, none of that. And Jesus healed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then risks going and talking to him mm-hmm. afterwards when he knows that he healed on a Sabbath. Probably knows that this guy's talked to the Pharisees, mm-hmm. you know. And then the other thing that I, I, I think is crazy here is not only in the way that Jesus loves us, is he loves us. And I think this is where, just as a side note, I think that the, um, the song Reckless Love does have some some weight to it mm-hmm. is because it seems reckless to us in situations like this because there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you would be a reckless investor if you had, you know, no guarantee whatsoever, no percentage here. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's zero mm-hmm. chance um, of there being a return investment and, and you invest anyway, mm-hmm. that, that seems reckless. Mm-hmm. So I think, anyway, just, I think the song yeah. is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, people get upset about it. So I just wanted to, I think, I think it makes sense. Um, but his love doesn't just meet the physical need. His love drives, Je- Jesus' love drives him to honesty. Mm-hmm. He says to him, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So... With the healing is also a warning. Mm. 
of if you continue to sin, there will be something worse that happens to you than being paralyzed for 38 years. There is a deeper reality than your physical suffering. And, and so this is why I think John Piper is right when, when he says Christians should be people who care about all human suffering, especially eternal suffering. Because that's what Jesus does. Is he cares about the human suffering that this man has experienced for 38 years, but he loves him enough to also be honest with him and say, if you keep on sinning, something worse is going to happen to you than just 38 years of paralysis. Um, which I think says something to the seriousness of eternal judgment. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, being paralyzed for what is equivalent to a lot of people as their entire lives, mm-hmm. you know, because people are dying a lot earlier than than we live to be now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I think in a Jewish mind in the first century context, there wouldn't be much worse <laughs> than living 38 years paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jesus says there's something worse coming. Um, any thoughts on those thoughts? I mean... I, I think you're you're hitting it right on, on, on the head as far as um, this this man's uh, reaction um, and Jesus knowing mm-hmm. right anyways um, but but s- still doing it um, definitely definitely a thing that Christians could pick up on yeah um, because when it comes to the kind of reckless love that Jesus is displaying here, it's rarely found mm-hmm. in in churches. Yeah. You know, um, we we like our, you know, the way things are. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we like being safe and comfortable. Um, when we we shouldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. we we like. Um, should I get my thoughts straight here? Um, like we'll we'll preach to you know our our fellow Christians a lot, right. without ever going out and talking to people that will right. most likely say no to us, right? Um, because that's that's kind of uncomfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't like being rejected, right? Um, and I think we need to get better at learning, you know, that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it all goes back to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Of we, we always expect one thing, one certain thing to happen when we talk with, with people that aren't Christians. Mm-hmm. When we, we need to be more adaptive Christians. Right. More, 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 more loving to, yeah. to what, a, you know, a person that might, you know, reject us and hate mm-hmm. us and turn us in for, you know, whatever. Right. Um, just be, being more... Like the adaptive, right? You know, loving Christians. Yeah. Risky. Yeah. Yeah. Not risque. No. Risky. Those are very different. I, I'm afraid to know what the other is. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Mm-hmm. So they're persecuting Jesus in verse 16 because he's doing these things on the Sabbath, but Jesus's response is my father is working until now, and I am working. 
This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So in the Jewish mindset, you know, you, you are so closely tied. The family is so knit together. If I claim, you know, this person as my father, you are making a claim of, of equality. You know, mm-hmm. I am him. Um, you know, Jesus is probably a craftsman, stonemason, carpenter, because that's what Joseph was. Mm-hmm. You know, there, we, we're, we're so individualized in the West now that we don't think in terms that, you know, if I say I'm, I'm, I'm doing something my father does, I'm like my father, that people are like, you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, no, that's not how it works in, in now. But then mm-hmm. that's what it would be like. Um, so I, but I, I, just to preface this, I love this discussion coming with the Pharisees here. Mm-hmm. Because it is so, it, you just see so much of the heart of Christ, what he's like. Um, so Jesus said to him, said to them, well, I think we'll go through like verse 24. I'll just mm-hmm. keep reading. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Any thoughts on that section? I I feel like we've talked about this before, and we probably have. But... um, this, you know, like you were saying, like you were saying, points a lot to the heart of Christ and how what the Father wills is also what Christ wills, mm-hmm. um, and, and that that really breaks into the uh, the Americanness of, you know, typically, and you know, this would not be okay, but it's, it's kind of how it's seen is the the wrathful, you know, Father right. of the Old Testament and yeah. the loving Jesus of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, when it's the same will of Jesus yeah. that, you know, blazed Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Um, and it's the same, what we, we would, you know, say the wrathful father, that it's the same will that he would heal the man who would betray him. Yeah. Um, man, it, and how it's it's both Jesus and the Father, mm-hmm. you know, united that want Jesus to be there, yeah, to save people. Mm-hmm. Um, it and and I can see why a lot of people at that time were thinking like that. There's no way this guy could be the Messiah, mm-hmm. be- because like this guy's nothing like you know. He's nothing like what we would imagine. Yeah. Um, 
because he you know he's so countercultural even then yeah as much as he is now yeah um, what do you think I, I I agree I think you know that Jesus makes it it clear my father's will is my will and I think you know we have talked a little bit in John 4 you know that's my food mm-hmm. Jesus says you know to do the will of my father that's that's what I I love to do um, and that it is that you know Jesus in the Old Testament you know all the judgment that happens that doesn't happen apart from the will of you know Father Son Holy Spirit they're not like you know deliberating and you know "Ah, I'm not for it you know like Jesus is like you know Sodom and Gomorrah I think that they should I think they should stick around you know and then the father just overrules it and it's like, nope, I'm killing them all. You know, just Lot and his family gets to go. It's not, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. And I think just with that, I think that we have made, uh, just in the last hundred years, it's, it seems like, at least in America, it seems like we've really made the Old Testament very wrathful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God's just mean mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. And it's like, but he keeps everybody alive all the time. Right. Like, and and he's so merciful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just, it's funny to me that, that a lot of the time we don't want God to be just ever. Mm-hmm. And if he is, then he's mean. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, but that's, that's not, that's not true. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, just to use an example, mm-hmm. like it, this isn't day one that they started doing stuff right. that was bad. This has been going on for a long time, mm-hmm. and and so God destroys them. Mm-hmm. They were evil. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was infinitely patient with them, and. Uh, it's, it's Jesus. Like, if we could just get that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, mm-hmm. then, then I think we would understand the backstory of how he, he must have implored Sodom and Gomorrah to repent. Mm-hmm. You know, how much he still loves Sodom and Gomorrah, but because he's the judge, he has to execute justice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so just that, and then I, I also love just Jesus as a person. He says the son can do nothing of his own will, of his, of his own. Um, he only does what he sees the father doing. And, and I, don't, I don't know about you, but I do not consider myself so dependent on God, the father that that's what I say about myself. I don't say, I can't do anything. I only do what I see God doing. Jesus is the most dependent person who has ever walked the face of the planet. And that is so shocking um, to think because we, we just picture him so powerful. Mm-hmm. all the time you know just like 
healing is just shooting off of him, you know. Mm. Um, power exudes from Jesus. But he's the most dependent person ever. That's why he's perfect. And, and it's also, I think, why um, he is able to ask a paralyzed man, do you want to be well? Is because that's what God the Father is telling him to ask. And in, in Christian circles, we talk so much about it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But we miss so often, we, we, because we don't know what the relationship looks like, how it operates, what it, you know, how it feels, how we think in the relationship, how we relate to the one we're in relationship with, because we don't know that, we just take the, we just make, we, we say no to the religion, yes to relationship, but then we just make the relationship religion again. Right. Um, but Jesus never, I don't think Jesus ever follows rules. He is not a rule follower. He, he is a father follower. He just does what his dad tells him to do. Um, he's not independent. He is infinitely dependent on the father. And uh, I think that that's really, you know, it, it's how he's able to love people because he's just relying on his dad to tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the way Jesus operates is wonderful and beautiful in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like oftentimes when we trip ourselves up is when we make it too complex. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we focus on, on such the, the minute details and we become you know, very um, uh, uh, law-like, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, what we're trying to do, all these all these things, we're trying to keep, it, you know, all the, all the, the juggling balls in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, when really, you know, while we're trying to do that, we're going like, oh, hey, look at me, I'm keeping all these balls, you know. Right. Um, until you drop them. Until you drop them. Yeah. Um, you can't keep them up. I can't even <laughs> keep two going. Um, okay. Just... Regular joke. Yeah. Anyways, um, but you know that that goes to the point of like you were saying we're we're so self dependent mm-hmm. um, when we can make it so much simpler. Yeah. And j- just have you know, not my will, mm-hmm. but your will. Yeah. Um, now I get that that great that sounds great in principle. Oh yeah. And and in actual life it becomes yeah. a lot more difficult. Yeah. But yet still in principle it's very simple. Yeah. Simple does not mean easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it really brings me a lot of times. You know when you, you see some someone do something that's genius mm-hmm. but like you could have thought of that sort of thing? Right. And you think, well, why didn't I do that? Right. So often I look at what Jesus does and I'm like, why why didn't I think of that? Right. Well one, because I'm dumb. But <laughs> but but two, you know, it, it's I don't know. It, it's mm-hmm. it it's it seems so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it seems so simple when yeah. when when Jesus is is able to do it. Right. Um, when yeah, all we need to do is know, like, understand the will of the Father. What 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 
God, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. I can't figure out what do you want me right. to do. And that's exactly how Jesus lived his yeah. life. Um, yeah. 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 And, and I think just with that, it's, it is simple. It is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you try to do this of just just rely on the Father, just be dependent on Him to tell you what to do, to slow down, to love in a way that's inefficient, to ask questions, to just simply depend on the Father, follow Jesus, His example. Um, It is extremely hard. You know, it, it's, you, you will have a fight with your, your own desires, your own flesh, um, all the time. And, and it's, it's funny because in the moment where you, you release control and you depend on him and, you know, that you're just following the father you're in relationship with him, not following rules, following him. Um, there, you, you feel the tension of I'm dying right now and I'm being resurrected. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm putting to death my own desires and then those desires are being raised to taste and see what is good instead of what I had thought was good for myself. Um, so there's there's a like you you feel the cross mm-hmm. um, because it's in one moment you feel like you die and you really feel it. Mm-hmm. It's such a death. It's you, you. It's not like something you volunteer for. You know, like personally, I don't like shots. I don't. I don't like being stabbed by needles and stuff. So it's like, it's kind of like that where I don't want it, but I know it's good for me. So I do it. Mm-hmm. And that, but in my flesh being nailed and helpless and in the side being pierced and reenacting the life of Christ that way, I never feel more alive. But it is taxing on you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's it's every day where it's like you gotta um, you you need to depend again on him mm-hmm. to to have strength to go through another day of dying and resurrection. Um, so anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Yeah, and uh, any any closing thoughts? Yeah, I I, I would say. So often, you know, we're, we're our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, get in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just as, as you were fin- finishing up there, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, the, those, those moments when, you know, you, you, you are relying on the Father and it, and it feels good. It feels bad, but it feels good. Mm-hmm. And, and it hurts so good. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like... Um, yeah, it's it's just it's tiring, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get up the next day, like that was really tiring. I'm I, I feel like I'm gonna, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of what I want, you know, just to start off the day, mm-hmm. and then we can get into what God wants, mm-hmm. and then you end up doing what you want the whole rest of the day. Yep. Um, so, it, it, and it, so I, I think the, the main takeaway that I have today is truly die to yourself. Yeah. Um, and the part about dying is it, it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll never, you know, just be like, oh, okay, I'm dying. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning how to die well. Yeah. Uh, die, die to your sin, die to your flesh. Mm-hmm. Because th- those moments when you, you're completely reliant on God feel so good mm-hmm. that eventually it'll be worth dying to yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are my, my thoughts. That's good. Well, with that, we will close. Thank you all for joining us. This has been Bragstack.